oh, well, that is just clearly an absolute thumbs down, rotten tomato score, whatever <laughs> thing for me. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. And welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you? Happy. Hey, happy Tessa Gobo Day. I am ready for some Oreos and a nap. Oh, nap would be great. <laughs> I was thinking about Tessa Gobo because, well, because thinking about Tessa Gobo is always a nice thing. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking back to when we could actually go places and we got to hang out on the Charles with her and row and, and do stuff. And how I mentioned to you that I want to start trying some other Olympic sports because that was so much fun. And what? then it turned out to be Tessa Gobo Day. <laughs> and when you said that, I got very, very, very excited. And it reminded me of, oh gosh, maybe a year or two ago when you were, when you said, I will try ski jumping. And I want to. So I think we'll have like a sub-series of Allison Tries Not to Die. Okay. Kind of a spin-off. <laughs> once we can travel again. <laughs> and I will earn my Tessa Gobo Oreos and a nap. Well, today, it, it's been ages since, since we've talked. Because we took, uh, uh, last week we had the week off, we had a lightning round. But uh, we haven't talked, and we've had a lot of updates have been going on, not only with our Shuk Flastanis, but there's been stuff going on with the different uh, upcoming Olympics. The IOC executive board met today. Today is Wednesday the 9th, as we tape, and we both have watched a whole bunch of movies, and there's just a lot to catch up on. So today is a big exactly. update show. So first on the list of updates... Our uh, next movie club movie, which is called Gold, The Dream That United Our Nation, we know it's it could be difficult to get in different parts of the world because it was made in India. It's on Amazon Prime. You can rent it on YouTube. But found that if you are in Australia, there are a few libraries that have the DVD, so you can do an interlibrary loan and get it. I, I would not. What? How did that even come across your desk? Um, somebody was looking for it and said, oh, it was on Amazon Prime and that's a bummer because they didn't have it. And I said, oh, no, 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 because I knew it was on YouTube. And then I thought, well, you know, is the DVD anywhere? Because sometimes library, different libraries around the, the country will have a... Right, no. if they have a large immigrant population yes. in a country, they'll have a lot of, you know, if you have a large Indian population, you might have a whole Bollywood collection. Exactly, exactly. So I thought, well, maybe that a DVD, I don't know what the compatibility was in India to the U.S., so I didn't know if maybe the it, it would be difficult to get Bollywood movies here, but found it on, found it on WorldCat. So. Australians to the rescue. Exactly. Exactly. I think John Coates might have had a hand in that. <laughs> Speaking of Coatesy, let's just go to him. Coatsy this week was great because he went rogue ahead of the, the executive board meeting, just being adamant that the games would happen. And he uh, spoke with a AFP 
And he said, the games are going to happen, COVID or no COVID. They'll start on July 23, and that's it. We're having them. So stop those questions, basically. And if I were COVID, I would do what Coatsy says, because he scares me. Because <laughs> I bet he would take like a flaming boomerang and just hurl it at your head. And catch it again. Oh, yeah. And just be done with it. So COVID-19, you have been warned. John Coates is coming for you. That's right. That's right. So that's, I guess, exciting news. So so hopefully this will stop the line of questioning of whether or not the games will happen. I think we've got the benefit of enough sports having taken place in the last few months that uh, have successfully taken place that the Olympics could take place. Now, how they will take place is a good question. And at today's uh, executive board uh, media conference, uh, T-Box said that they don't really have answers for that yet. Several I've questions. So many questions and in two different languages. How many ways can this man say it's a constantly changing landscape? We can't tell you where we're going to be nearly a year from now. Right. But they kept asking and he was very patient. I, I yes, he was. And and, and his I typical diplomatic self, but I loved how he <laughs> he answered the same question both in English and in French. It just was posed <laughs> in a slightly different way. Yeah. I I don't know. That uh, he had more patience than I did with that because <laughs> It does bother me when I feel like journalists ask the same question thinking that if they rephrase it or because it's me, I'll get a different answer. But it would have been nice to hear different questions come up besides what are the COVID things that you've got planned out because they don't know. And there's probably a million different scenarios they're looking at. So we shall. We'll see. I mean, they do have to make decisions somewhat soon because you have to figure out if you're letting participants or not if you're letting if you're letting in fans, how many will you let in? Where will they come from? Things of that nature. So I don't know. It's it's one of those like I just I don't know if I'll get to go to the games. So. I thought of that today as well. <sighs> I was thinking about because I was thinking about traveling and I was thinking, oh, because Tokyo was the the highest demand for the tickets of any mm -hmm. Olympics that we've seen. So I'm curious. I'm not even curious. I'm I'm trepidatious as to how this is going to play out. Right. And how crushingly we know it's not going to be what it was supposed to be in terms of visitors. There's just no way because so many people aren't going to travel whether they can or not. Right. And that makes me so sad because Tokyo was so excited and ready and now this happened yeah. so it's just another heartbreak related to COVID obviously not on the scale of losing people but just this has caused so much heartbreak for so many people you know small things like you know you miss a family party and big events get canceled and losing people and it's just I still can't wrap my head around it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that this is happening yeah, it is very weird. So that's why I live in my little Olympic bubble. That's right. That's right. Hey, speaking of Olympic bubble, let's talk about some of the movies we've watched over our break. Since we can't, you know, go out and see things. So let's let's get the tough one out of the way. 
So we both finally sat down and watched Athlete A, which is the documentary about the sex abuse scandal and Larry Nassar related to United States gymnastics. And it was a, oh, so hard to get through, even though it's shorter than two hours. It was hard. I had to break it up. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. I couldn't sit all the way through because I, I just got so, so angry. And the one thing that came out of it for me, first of all, Rachel Den Hollander is the most amazing woman. She was one of the first victims to, and I think the first victim to be publicly identified. The reporters at the Indianapolis Star, beyond compare, what these people did, and amazing. Bella and Marta Caroli should be in prison. Yeah, uh, I don't know how they're getting away scot-free. Because not only did they let the Larry Nasser abuse stand, they created an environment of abuse themselves that allowed this to happen. We all know the Larry Nasser story at this point, that USAG protected him. He abused hundreds and hundreds of girls. But what Bella and, and Marta Caroli did in terms of abusing the, these girls physically and emotionally to the point where they were totally primed for Larry Nassar mm -hmm. is beyond belief. And what made me the angriest at the end, I went and of course read some things after, they have not been banned by USAG. They were simply allowed to retire. And I am sorry. I don't care if they're retired. For optics, they need a permanent lifetime ban. And why hasn't the International Gymnastics Federation stepped in and said, IGF banned you for life for participating in the sport? Whether they would ever coach again is <clears> not <throat> the point. They need to be banned. And I mean, there's like a hundred other people who deserve it as well, but for the optics and for USAG to say, we're going to change. That's the first step that needs to happen. Yeah. I don't believe USAG at, at this point no. in time. I, no. I just, I, that's one, one of probably many federations that should just be burned down and started over again, because you already, have you seen uh, the coach, coach Haney, who was banned for uh, verbal abuse to one of Lori her gymnasts. Yeah, Lori Hernandez and, and that gym. But she's apparently coaching again with a gym that's not necessarily a USAG member. So right. you get these coaches who are, they'll go, for, and this happens in every sport. They'll just go from place to place to place until they find a home. Right. I think the biggest thing that needs to happen in gymnastics and a lot of the, the gym turnet or whatever you call it, what is it? Yeah. Gym turnet. Gym turnet is going to hate me for this. We need to raise the, the elite competition age to 18. I would agree with you on that. And I Children think Children should not, I mean, I don't care that they have this Olympics. You have to turn 16 the year of the Olympics. No. To be on the elite national team in every country, you need to be 18. 
Let's stop having 12 year olds training 40 hours a week, like they're full-time employees Mm -hmm. and setting them up to be physically and emotionally and verbally abused. Yeah. I mean, gymnastics, it's not little girls gymnastics. And and one of the interesting things in athlete a is that they talked about how with Nadia came the shift of women doing gymnastics and competing at the Olympics versus girls, because girls are smaller if they haven't gone through puberty, they're a lot lighter and they can fly more and do more complicated tricks. And everybody wants to see the complicated tricks, but that puts little girls in a very bad position where they can't speak up. They're, you know, probably very obedient, want to please people. And it's just a prime environment. And especially the Corollis. Yeah, and they're terrified. Yeah. Because as athlete A points out, Maggie Nichols got left off the 2016 Olympic team, no doubt, for filing a complaint. Oh, yeah. I, I drew those same lines. So we need to stop having little girls on international stages, period. And I would say little boys as well, but it seems to be the boys because of the different physical development. You don't have the little boy skaters, the little boy gymnasts. Right. But you still do have some high schoolers. You have it in every sport. And I kind of wonder what like high schoolers in swimming versus high schoolers in, you know, ice skating and gymnastics, how that differs. Because you do have a lot of people who they win their their medals and, oh, I got to go back to high school. Which is a perfect segue to the other thing that you were watching, which was the weight of gold. Yeah, which was also and one of the right. And one of the the athletes they talked to is Michael Phelps, and he talks about not having a normal childhood. And that was interesting to me because I always thought swimmers, it was more you didn't really start heavy duty training until at least high school. But that doesn't seem to be the case. The swimmers seem to start young as well right you do start young and if you end up getting in competitive swimming you could be you'd have a swim club and you'd practice i can't remember if i practiced every day or if it was a few days a week but a couple hours and then just gets more and more and then you know you can add two a days at some point go to camps where you're swimming all day long yeah it's it's tough and and i mean uh, Competing as an athlete, you do make choices about the lifestyle you're going to have. And so oh, yeah. you, you choose one way. And, and and a lot of people go, well, I, I didn't have a normal childhood, but I had a special childhood. So when I got to do things that other kids didn't get to do. But it does set people up for massive successes, massive failures, and big wake-up calls on what the world of elite athletes is really like and that's the weight of gold was an hbo documentary one hour documentary took me two hours to watch because ben and i kept stopping it to talk so steve holcomb who was the medal winning bobsledder appears in this documentary he has since died how is it seeing him talk about his um, struggles i i cried i'm tearing up right now thinking about it it was really hard to see him 
on the screen giving an interview for that project. And that was rough. And they also talked with Katie Ulander, who's an American skeleton racer, and she was Holcomb's best friend and found his body. And so she's still very much in, in the stages of grief about that as well. And it, it's tough because, you know, she had some other family issues with a very sick parents and could not take time off of the race cycle because she had to race so they could get their points or they could get their, you know, remained qualified as, as an association. And it just, it's frustrating to realize how little power you have over what you do in sport. You know, we all know that to be an elite athlete requires an incredible level of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. both physically and emotionally. And I don't I don't think it shouldn't. I mean, because these people are incredibly special, but I don't think your mental health needs to be one of those sacrifices. And I hate that for so many of these people it is. I, I think some elements could be prevented with education beforehand and during, like when we talked with Leslie Klein, when do you start thinking about retirement? When do you start working on this? You start working on it right away. And in The Weight of Gold, uh, Lolo Jones was in it, and she competed in hurdles, and then she was also a bobsledder. And she just had... I think her big wake-up call was the fact that she wasn't making any money. Like, she had two and three jobs. She was like slinging smoothies at a gym and people would go, Hey, aren't you an Olympian? And she'd be like, yeah. Or she was part of the home Depot program where they'd hire athletes and have them have a schedule that was more flexible for training. But we know that the majority of Olympic athletes make next to no money, if anything. And that these sports are very expensive to be in and keep getting more and more expensive the more travel around the world is involved. And so I I think that element is not really known until you're deep into the trenches and you're just like, well, I got to keep going. And you don't realize that being an athlete is not a normal job like a salaried job in an office, you know, you, you, you work in an office, you get a salary, you know what you're going to get paid. Something like me, where I do freelance work, I don't get paid unless I work. And that's what it's like with an elite athlete. But there's a, there's a high risk and a high reward potential. But that high reward doesn't come for most of them. No, and even when they are winning medals and top of their game, they're still not making money. Because the money's just not in those sports. No. And how does it get to those sports? That's the question where you see sports like uh, football, both American and uh, what we would call soccer, basketball, hockey, baseball here. Tennis. Tennis, golf. Uh, In Europe, I know uh, volleyball is big. Handball is big. Where there is money in those sports and people go play professional, like Tony Azevedo went and played professional water polo in Europe and seemed to make a, a decent enough living off of it. So where do you get that around the world, I guess? And do all sports get it? And should they? I don't know. You know, originally the Olympics was the gentleman's pastime. 
you know, and certainly that's not fair either. It should be inclusive. And yet, how do we make this work? And isn't there already too much money in sport? And we've bemoaned some of the issues with money in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And is this the whole the money's in the wrong place? I don't know. You know, what's a fair sport? What's what's fair about saying, oh, you're in modern pentathlon, you can you get to make $20,000 a year versus, oh, you're a swimmer, you can make $100,000 a year. What's what's fair? I guess it's not, nothing's going to be fair. As I tell my teenage daughter, life is not fair. <laughs> it's not, but I mean, do you say, oh, you make the Olympics, should the IOC pay you a stipend for being an Olympian? Right, because they're certainly making a lot of money off the athletes. They're, you know, it's like the NCAA controversy here in the, uh, colleg uh, collegiate athletics here in the United States. These colleges are literally making millions off the backs of the athletes who make nothing. Mm -hmm. And are the Olympics the same thing? And how do we redistribute that wealth? And you know, we make jokes about the steak dinners and the five-star hotels. But I'll tell you something, those athletes are not staying at five-star hotels. No, most most of them are not. Exactly. I mean, how many stories have we heard about renting the van so they can drive around Europe with their insane amount of equipment because they can't afford to fly? I mean, it, it's so funny that how quickly when we talk about sport, it becomes a reflection of the whole society. Right. Which is the one thing we love about the Olympics, that it does reflect the good and, and bad of the world. And yet even in the economic portion of it, it's the 1% and the redistribution of wealth and the have and the have nots and how so quickly we end up in this greater discussion of what kind of society do we want. Mm -hmm. And not everybody and we wants to watching a documentary. I know not everybody wants the same society. Cause like, I don't right. really, I don't not a huge basketball fan. So I don't love the fact that they're the, the top pro players make millions of dollars. I'm just mad because they're really tall. <laughs> uh, one interesting thing connected, not connected to the weight of gold particularly, but in light of that, when, since we're talking about that documentary, is that the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee got a gift to uh, establish a mental health fund. So uh, this was uh, reported in Inside the Games that they got a donation of $1.5 million, which is just over uh, a million pounds and a million euros. Uh, so the money is going to supplement important funding for USOPC mental health offerings. So they'll have in-person virtual counseling, awareness campaigns, background checks, that kind of thing. Hopefully this money will last a while. That's one one thing. Like it's it's very interesting that this program isn't possible without a massive donation. True. And I wonder if, if the weight of gold had any connection to that donation. If the publicity around it sort of pushed this money in that direction. Exactly. I, I do wonder that if they saw this and said uh the, the people who donated said we want to make sure this happens. But 1.5 million doesn't go that far for that long. 
in my mind, and no, you know, knowing what the US OPC, the US OPC spends money, yes, one point five million, not going to last that long. No. So what what happens? And it, you know, they were able when COVID made uh, cost cutting a thing. Leslie Klein's program, Leslie got got uh, downsized, and she directed a, a program that was very important, I think, to making sure athletes could go on and find how how to be successful in other areas of life when they were done competing. So it's a nice step. I'm hopeful, but I'm not. I'm I'm just I'm on a wait and see thing with uh, that program to see what what happens and how long it happens. So Jill, what can Olympic fans watch if they want to feel better? Well, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend Olympic Dreams. <laughs> So this was the film, it, it is a fiction film, that was shot in the Pyeongchang Olympic Village. Yes. And nothing like this has ever been attempted before. No, yeah, yeah. it was part of the IOC's Artist-in-Residence program. They made a big deal of it when they were talking about it because they filmed basically during the Olympics and had access to a, a lot of behind-the-scenes access to different venues that was probably the best part of this movie. Because I have not seen this. It's only available on Showtime. It seems yeah, like. it showed up in the Showtime calendar, I guess you would say, in the programming. So, And a lot of for... athletes appear. In yes. Jeff Kenworthy is in this. You know, there's a lot of sort of cameos yes. of, of various athletes. And the reviews I read were, were quite positive. But the Jill Jarris thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh gosh, no. See and see the the person who reviewed it for rogerebert.com and Roger Ebert, if you he was a very very popular uh, movie critic, very influential film critic in the United States. Uh the person who reviewed it for his website, uh, two stars. Totally agree. Two and a half because of the venues. So this is a story of Penelope who's played by Alexi Pappas. She uh, Alexi is uh, a long distance runner. She runs a 10K. She's American, but competed for Greece at, in the Olympics. So she is playing a 22 year old cross country skier who is competing at her first Olympics. And then uh, comedian Nick Kroll plays Ezra, a 37 year old dentist who's volunteering at the, the games. And they kind of make this connection, and it's kind of a rom-com. That's what it gets billed as, as a romantic comedy thing. Well, I already have a problem with the age difference. Right. Okay. So let's continue with the problems. Uh, they they meet at, in the dining hall, and it, it seems like Ezra is the only volunteer allowed to eat in the Olympic dining hall among the Olympians because you never see any other volunteers there. Although it's just like, why are they letting him in? I thought that was an athlete's only place. Well, A, maybe he's in the movie, but B, he's working in the village. Maybe they just say, you're working in the village. You can can come. Ezra is, he has a fiance, but they're in the process of breaking up and he's kind of clinging hope to that that they'll stay together, but I think it's pretty much over. She is 22. You see her, she's very kind of very nervous to be at the games, and she's making calls to people who aren't answering the phone. So it, it's almost like there's nobody there to watch her. There's no, she has no friends. She has no family there at the games. 
And there are a couple of very plaintive, sad calls, and she's just very lost. It's kind of lost in translation, malaise thing. To which I said, you don't know anybody who else who's competing in cross country. Come on. You are with these people all season long. It's not like you don't know them. So it really was like she's walking through the village and she doesn't know anybody. And sure, you don't know people in other sports, but she's very sad and and down. And so that kind of filters through everything. But she and Ezra make this connection. And there's kind of a will they, won't they throughout the whole film. And they hang out together, then they get miffed with each other, then they hang out together again and and explore the city a little bit. Um, And that's kind of it. She goes, this I thought was a little cringeworthy given events of the past couple years. She does go to a party with uh, Gus Kenworthy and uh, some other, I think mostly American people are in the party. And she basically tells, she tries to kiss Gus, and Gus says, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm gay. And she just about falls apart and goes, I really need to kiss somebody right now. Can you please, I, I just really need to kiss somebody. And so he obliges and gives her a big long kiss. And I know, I see your look, and I just thought, hashtag me too. How many, <laughs> I just thought that was so inappropriate and it's made me so uncomfortable and I have to say, I'm a little disappointed in Gus, given what a staunch LGBTQ plus advocate he's been, that he would play that scene that way. I, I mean, I realized it was in the script, but he didn't have to agree to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was weird. And, and maybe there was a script in, you know, quote unquote script, because it really felt like a lot of, oh, we've got some points and we know our characters and we're just going to kind of improv. It, it just was very a uh, thin script, very indie movie. I will say that. Well, I wondered if younger Jill would like it, but I'm not so sure. Well, you know, was there a lot of Bondaby and Suharang to rescue the film? <sighs> There was some suharang. There was a lot of suharang because we would. <laughs> well, that every time we itself. every time we saw one, we would yell suharang. Um, You're trying to save this film, clearly. You are, yeah, but it gets worse because Ezra gives Penelope a suharang, and she doesn't know its name. <gasps> she just calls it like a stuffed animal. I know. Oh, well, that is just clearly an absolute thumbs down, rotten tomato score, whatever thing for me. Oh, okay. No, moving on. Yeah. So I was watch it to see the behind the scenes stuff of the of life as an athlete. But it was it was very I, I just I had a lot of problems with this movie. Okay, so if you want to feel good, Jill. What's something you can watch? Oh, if you've got Netflix, even if you don't have Netflix, go get the free trial for a month and watch Rising Phoenix. You will feel totally emotionally manipulated by this movie, and you will be so grateful for it. So good. This is a story of the Paralympic movement and how it rose up and had a spectacular Paralympic Games in London, and then moves to Rio where the games almost did not happen because Rio ran out of money. I wish this movie had been done episodically. Oh, 
I wish that had been like a four part series because they did a really brilliant job of weaving history, events, and individual stories. So they interview several Paralympians. They included history. So we had spoken about wheelchair basketball not long ago, and some of our friends from wheelchair basketball make an appearance, Dr. Mm -hmm. Gutman from the UK, and some of that history in the Mandeville games. And I almost wanted it more. Oh, yeah. I wanted more, too. The Paralympians that they interviewed, they gave them their stories, but it wasn't about their history that was included, but it was really about them as athletes. And what I think this movie did brilliantly, and I think will be, when we look back on it 20 years from now, will be an absolute turning point because this is the feel-good grand sweeping orchestral kind of movie that gives the Paralympics that almost like a 1984 LA moment that the Olympics had mm -hmm. where it was big and grand and showy and we made a big show. And this movie does that, I think for the Paralympics. If you do not cry during this movie, there is something wrong with you. <laughs> You will want, and I texted you earlier in the week after I watched this, and I said, I want to go have a drink with Andrew Parsons and uh, Sir Philip Craven, who were very involved in the movement. And every athlete story they told, I thought this one was going to be my favorite. And then they went on to the next one. And that was my favorite. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly not American centric, which was great. I know. I on my list. I, I've been trying to try to figure out how to get in touch with Bebe Vio, the Italian wheelchair fencer, who is just so dynamic, such a sparkling personality, so engaging. We just fell, fell in love with her. After I finished, I I decided that Matt Stutzman is my new best friend. He <laughs> is an archer who has no arms, so he shoots with his feet. It's mind-boggling. But what amazed me the most is as they were showing film of him competing, I was not focused on the fact that he was competing with his feet. I really was focused on Sim simply as an athlete. And that's what this movie does better than any other thing I've seen of the Paralympics. You really start seeing these athletes as athletes. And the intensity of the competitions unbelievable i cannot say enough good things about this movie and like i said they totally manipulated me with the orchestral music <laughs> and the sweeping visuals and they have this recurring theme with these crumbling statues and i don't care i loved it the production values were tremendous it's just so well done you got such a broad spectrum of what the Paralympics is and how meaningful it is. And it, to me, shows very much how sport is very important in people's lives. Though I am left with one troubling, lingering question. Mm -hmm. How did a Brazilian end up with a name Andrew Persons? <laughs> Maybe we'll find out. Andrew, let me know. <laughs> where your vanilla <laughs> name came from also on our updates 
the IOC executive board met and got a whole bunch of updates. So one of the, the, the big thing that we've heard so far out of the IOC is that they are starting an international safeguarding officer in sports certificate. So this they say it's the first of its kind. It's a five-month educational course, and it will be open to anybody but aimed at federations and national Olympic committees, and it's intended to create better coaching. T-Box specifically referenced abuse and harassment in relation to this. So we'll see. Yeah, hopefully this will help. And uh, they also said they're going to have a series of 11 webinars starting next month in several languages to talk about cultural challenges in safeguarding athletes and providing access to experts for athlete support. And then they're going to also start an Athlete 365 campaign to build awareness. And it'll be interesting. I think one of the things we are hearing more and more is that so many sports, people are coaches and they have no background in coaching. Right. They become coaches because they were good athletes in that sport. And then it's the same thing that you see in gymnastics. Well, I was trained this way with this mm-hmm. abusive mentality. So it, it passes on. Right. That That is the way it must be done. Or you have uh, people who get into coaching. Maybe they get into coaching because their kid got into the sport. And they just worked their way up the ladder along with their kid or they found out they they liked coaching but didn't necessarily work to improve their education. They just did it. And sometimes you get to a place you can work your ways into places of power and use that power for bad things. So hopefully this certificate program will help foster more training for coaches and help foster safer spaces for athletes. I think that'll take time. Well, you know, we have spoken to enough athletes at this point that I truly believe that a coach does not need to be abusive to get an athlete to the Olympics. You know, this whole idea that it's always got to be tough love and it's got to be, you know, you've got to push them so hard and you got to make them hate you. Deanna Price is married to her coach. I don't think she hates him. (laughs) Well, I've and, seen how they work together. It's not necessary. Right. But there, I think there's a lot of leftover mentality from the Soviet system where things were a lot harsher and there was more on the line. Like if if you did not get your results from your athletes, you paid the price for that. So, you know, you did what you did. We do not have the gulag for coaches here. No, not anymore. Shouldn't be. And speaking of those webinars, I did want to mention this from T-Box uh, press conference. He mentioned how the, the webinars were going to be in several languages, and he could do them all. How many <laughs> languages does that man speak? And the funny thing was, was I think within one sentence, he spoke in three different languages. Yeah, he did, because he was answering a question in French, and he threw in a couple of German words, and then there must have been something with no translation, so it was in English. <laughs> so I'm trying to follow him, and I'm like, what language are you speaking? <laughs> Is this Olympic ease, and now I need to learn another language? What's happening? We he speak was in Olymp- a jovial mood today. He was. Except when people kept asking him what was happening with COVID. <laughs> yes. 
I love the EB conferences because they're all virtual now. So there's a lot of, can you hear me? Can you hear me? We can hear you. We can even see you. We can hear you, but we can't see you. And I wanted to put in a question because I wanted to know about cost cutting for Tokyo 2020. When are we going to start hearing about that? And I thought about putting in the question. And then I thought, because when he said to the first person, oh, we can even see you. And I thought, T-Box wearing a suit and tie and I'm wearing my best biathlon t-shirt. And I don't really know what my hair looks like because I just pulled it back to get it off of my face and neck. I'm not, I'm not asking. He would absolutely respect that biathlon t-shirt. <laughs> I think he would have enjoyed that. Let's check in with our team, Keep the Flame Alive. Welcome to Shutlistan. Oh my gosh, the team just like burst into action over the last couple of weeks. So first off, Dawn Harper Nelson, she's been named to the USOPC's Team USA Council on Racial and Social Justice. So this is a 44-member council run by the athletes that's going to uh, address the rules and systems within the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic movements and that create barriers to progress. They're going to work together to find solutions and recommend things to increase the social justice among all the athletes. So this is a very big deal, I think, and very important. And tons of athletes involved, but Dawn has been named to the Steering Committee for Institutional Awareness and Cultural Change. Excellent. Very excited to see what this council does and see some really good recommendations come out to change the systems. Because I think that's a huge part of the problem is that we don't realize what systems we're just so used to that are so unfair. That was one exciting thing for Dawn. And then she competed again. Back to her day job. That's right. So uh, Dawn was in the Drake Blue Oval Showcase, which had a just a few athletes, but it was an actual competition in person, and she competed in uh, the, the hurdles and placed fourth with a time of 13.17, which I think is excellent, given that it's her first time back. Has she commented on her time? I didn't see her comments on Instagram. I didn't see her happy. comment on Twitter at all either. She's um, always happy. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she's. it's a lot slower than her previous times but hey you got to get back in the saddle somewhere so now you know what how, you how you've done so i think that and she wasn't last so there you go i think that's fantastic she has been working so incredibly hard so i'm glad to see her racing again oh yay yay yay, yay. <laughs> uh shukful stanis are colliding Book club author Andrew Marinus is teaching a course on race, gender, and sports at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at Vanderbilt University. Who's one of his guest speakers? Sports historian Victoria Jackson. We have to let them know this. I, I did. I said it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so that is very exciting. So the lectures in this series are on Wednesdays from 11 to 12.15 Central, and they run... Uh, October 7th through November 11th, and it's online via Zoom. So if you want to sign up, you can. It costs $60 for the series. I am writing down some URLs. <laughs> More good news. Our Shuk Flastani documentarian, John McLeod's film Conviction, the Steve Gentner story, has been selected into its first film festival, the Best Shorts Film Festival. I was so happy to see that news. 
And it is such a great film. We got to watch it and we got to share that with some of the listeners. Exactly. Oh, and um, if, if you are a Patreon patron, we taped the Q&A from that. And that is one of your bonus clips for this week for those who give at the uh, bronze level and above. So if you'd like to hear more about the movie, you can uh, access that audio at patreon.com slash flamealivepod. Speaking of Patreon... Uh, we are very grateful to our Patreon patrons because they do support the show and enable it to happen. We set a new goal for Patreon to be able to uh, offer transcripts because we'd like to make the show more accessible. But transcription is a pretty big financial barrier for us. And we really do need the support to make that happen. If we can get 75 patrons, and that's at any level, we'll be able to offer transcripts to make the podcast more accessible. So if you'd like to support the show and uh, make that happen, please visit patreon.com slash flamealivepod. And you don't have to do this just for altruistic reasons. You get some things for that. Exactly. Well, more more good news. Let's go back to more good yes. news. Yes, so our loser, Shiva Keshavan's hometown, had a celebration for him for earning the Arjuna Award, which is very exciting. And if you if you jump on Instagram and see some of the pictures, it will just make you happy inside. Exactly. I did so happy to be there. I, I did ask him if they gave him the keys to the city. <laughs> he said, no, our doors are open for all. <laughs> That's such a Shiva answer. <laughs> oh. I love that answer. <laughs> Bob Sledger, Nick Cunningham has officially retired from competition. You know, he was, he coaches, Bob Sledge coaches uh, track and field, high school track and field. And last year he got called to fill in on the North American Cup for a little while and help bring up some people. So he had that, ooh, maybe I'll try for Beijing 2022. But he officially hung up his spikes. I think because he didn't want to shave that beard. <laughs> <laughs> to be more aerodynamic. <laughs> but he's still coaching, and that's fantastic because it's, it's going to be a great. He does not need that certification to be a good coach. No, I don't he think He so. has the natural personality for it. And he I works hard. He's my coach. Yeah, there you go, Nick. You want a couple Nick of clients? And Emily Cook is going to be my motivational mm -hmm. partner. Mm -hmm. Nick can coach me to move faster in anything because I'm very slow. Shiva will just make me happy, because I'll just talk to him once in a while and be like, show me pictures of your baby and and be nice to me. This is awesome. We could have a whole team just to make my life easier. I would like that. And you know who I will, will watch perform all the time? Is Jacqueline Simino. Oh, speaking of Jackie, she was part of a Team Canada social feature that asked student athletes for their best back to school advice. I got to say, hers was really good. It was. She said like she works with the Pomodoro technique, which is kind of a time blocking thing and, and really keeping track of how you're spending your time. This was my favorite piece because she said, train at the time you're going to compete. So, for example, if you're going to take a test and your class is at 10 o'clock in the morning, study at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I thought that was amazingly good advice. But I, you know, we always talk about when the schedule comes out and stuff is geared for U.S. time and U.S. TV time. And they say, oh, oh what is it with Tokyo? The swimming is at odd hours. Like swimming finals are very in the morning. In the morning. But... 
if you're like Jackie and Team Canada for synchro swimming, not a problem because you've been training for it. Because they're synchronized swimmers. And they synchronize not just with each other, but with the clock. <laughs> so that what I loved about that is that debunked all those stories that come out that, that talk about how unfair the schedule is. Because you've got time to train for it. Be prepared. And finally, gymnast Chelsea Memel was on American Ninja Warrior. Which I did not how, see. How is that even possible? What do you mean? Because a lot of those things seem geared for tall people i don't think they're not necessarily there's probably some height but she's got some strength in her legs that can jump up high but and and she could yeah a lot of ninja warrior courses seem to be more geared for upper body strength which she also has yeah those chelsea challenges are frightening so she unfortunately did not do well on the course i understand but you got to start somewhere and she said she had a fun time and every every the thing about the Ninja Warrior shows in America. Well, and they've happened in Japan, too, is that everybody is so supportive. All the competitors are really supportive of each other. And it's you against the course, not you against each other. So that was very nice. I'm glad she got that opportunity. Oh, let's see what's going on with Tokyo 2020. I'm exhausted just recording this show. <laughs> Hey, Allison, are the games going to happen next year? John Coates told me they're going to happen, so gosh darn it, they're going to happen. What are they going to do about COVID-19? John Coates is going to throw a flaming boomerang at it (laughs) and knock it right out. Uh, Yeah, so now we are in prime meeting time for the organizing committee to start figuring out what they what plans to put in place for COVID-19. Nobody knows anything yet. They're also starting to flesh out the cost-cutting plans. So I am very curious what they'll come out with for that. The Straits Times out of uh, Australia reported... uh, One of the the interesting things that the Straits Times reported is that they're, they're trying to figure out what that means, but the sports director of the Tokyo Organizing Committee, Koji Murofushi, says details that used to previously go unnoticed, like the sounds athletes make in the quiet stadiums, will take on more focus. So does that mean that the mic is going to pick up more? I don't know, but it's supposed to bring new perspectives and business opportunities. What, for every time somebody grunts, we get a dollar? Not us. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe they're going to use sound like that more and use that as... I don't know, have sonic things going on throughout the games a little bit more. So we'll see. They're still considering cost cuts in more than 200 areas. Don't know what that means yet, but hopefully uh, we will have some answers soon. Maybe they will have the sound of tearing yen. (laughs) Throwing it into the fire as things just, you know, go way over budget. Ooh, the sound of John Coates yelling at people for spending too much money. I would pay for that sound. Does that sound exist? It must. Oh, and he's got (laughs) the accent and yelling at people. I want that, too, as part of my coaching plan. Mm. Okay. Uh, One thing that happened during our break was uh, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has stepped down for health reasons, but... The, he's been instrumental in getting the games to Japan and working with 
the organizing committee and the IOC and the local government. And so the hope is that he will still help out with the games. And he won't get to open them now. And he's been so instrumental. I know. Maybe maybe the next prime minister will let him. Yeah, I doubt it. Because usually it's the head of state. Yeah, yeah. But maybe there would be some... I don't know. If you were head of state, if you got magically put in as head of state, wouldn't you want to open the games? Yes, but they also get to close the games. So maybe they'll split the difference. Oh, maybe. We'll see. The Nikkei Asian Review is reporting that Tokyo Olympics venues are now available for rent. So some so of the you op- could have your postponed wedding <laughs> at the rowing event, at the rowing venue. And they're, they're available for training and uh, events. Hopefully they'll be able to have some attention focused on them while we're waiting for the games to happen. And hopefully it'll help them earn some money because they've had to postpone their original use for a year. Well, the training would be nice, too, mm-hmm. because then, you know, certainly Japanese athletes and maybe some other athletes in Asia would be able to use those facilities. And they've got to be the best of the best. Right. So some of the venues include the Kasai Canoe Slalom Center, uh, which you can rent for $560 an hour for an exclusive rental. That would be exciting. The Metropolitan, Metropolitan Government is also planning a rafting program for citizens of Tokyo, but they're still working out the prices. There's something you could try. I could move to Tokyo for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, the water polo venue is off. They've sponsored some swimming events for children and adults, which has been good. And uh, the national stadium has been used a little bit. So uh, the Asian review said that some venues can't be offered because they suspended construction work on them. But uh, they do have some that they can they can use. Yeah, you wouldn't want to use a half-completed diving tower. No, that would be bad. Into an empty pool. That could just <laughs> put a damper on things. And then, let's see, a couple more things. There's a lot of stuff coming out of Tokyo. They are opening, you know how they have hospitality houses during the games? And so a lot of countries will have hospitality houses. There's going to be a pride house, Tokyo. And it's got the oh. it's the first one to get international IOC backing. Is there a sponsor for that? Um, this is a, a story from Reuters, and it just says Tokyo. Tokyo will open Pride House. So I'm not sure who is exactly behind it, but it will be open for uh, International Coming Out Day on October 11th. Excellent. Japan is not a very open society when it comes to LGBTQ rights and manner matters. So hopefully this will promote that there. Well, it could probably have the same effect of the Paralympics in Tokyo in 1964 when we oh. read about that, how that moved the uh, disability rights uh, issues so forward in Japan. I will hope that this has the same effect. Yes. Uh, and finally, near and dear to our librarian hearts... The Prince Chichibu Memorial Sports Museum and Library in Tokyo is going to uh, set up a campaign to figure out where all of the Olympic memorabilia is in different museums across the country. So it's going to have a seminar for 300 institutions that currently house different sports Olympic-related memorabilia, and they want to create a nationwide database so they know where all the stuff is. That's fantastic. 
Imagine if we tried to do something like that in the United States. It's crazy because it's amazing where that stuff ends up. I remember, remember when we were talking with Terry Hedgepeth that a lot of Olympians will donate to their sports museum. Right, or to a local, like their, their alma mater, mm-hmm. or a local library, or the, it's just everywhere and in pieces and probably every local historical society has some random oh yes joe smith competed in 1948 and he brought home this ticket stub and so we have it on display well that was central town (laughs) historical society when i lived in waltham at the waltham museum i went and in their sports hall of fame was a picture of a olympic marathoner I can't remember her name, but uh, she was from Waltham. Random. Oh, let's move on to some doping news. So the one movie I did not watch was Icarus, which is the doping story. No, which is very, very good. So you should watch it. It's very interesting to see because it is this amateur cyclist who kind of figures out how the whole Russian system worked through doping himself. So... uh, while you talk about the latest doping scandal, I'm just going to sit in a corner and eat my Tessagobo Team USA Oreos. All right. So the United States has threatened to pull its uh, funding to the World Anti-Doping Agency. This is according to Reuters. And that means that if they are non-compliant with the WADA code, that could bar American athletes from international competition. And because... The IOC requires that you have to have WADA compliance. They could also be barred from the Olympics. There is not enough Oreos in the world to make me not get angry about this. I know. And uh, USADA's president, President Travis Tiger, according to Reuters, uh, said that this was an empty threat and it was illegal. And he's, they say that uh, WADA's governance model is failed uh, you shouldn't threaten American athletes. We don't, you know, we disproportionately pay a large amount of money to WADA and we don't get the representation that our contribution allows. So we'll have to see how this affects the American athletes. On the no. one hand, I'm furious with USADA for getting into this spitting contest. But on the other hand, if Russia can send athletes after everything that they've pulled, the fact that WADA would even threaten the United States athletes is hypocritical at best. Well, I yeah, I would think that, you know, because you're getting into a, a fighting contest over money and then the American athletes are pawns. I would not be surprised if the IOC said, oh, America, you can compete under the IOC flag, much like Russian athletes. Oh, who- that will never fly. Oh, no, they won't like it. But I mean, the choices could be compete or don't compete. Yeah. So I, I there. this just kind of seemed to come out of nowhere. And yeah, I'm going to live in my little Oreo induced happy Tessagobo day bubble. Maybe COVID got to them. Just the, the stress of living in a pandemic just made some people say things that they didn't want to say to go watch Rising Phoenix again and make myself feel better. <laughs> hey, let's move on to Beijing 2022. 
I'm not sure if we mentioned this, but uh, from the Beijinger, Yum China is going to be a sponsor of the Beijing 2022 Games. And that means the KFC Pizza Hut and Taco Bell will be around. You won't get McDonald's anymore, but you will get mashed potatoes from KFC. Maybe if they have mashed potatoes. I think they localized the menu. Oh, because the mashed potatoes at KFC are like wallpaper glue. (laughs) But I do love a crunchy chicken nugget, so. So we'll see. Uh, They are going to be sponsoring the games and then remain on for as the official sponsor of the Chinese Olympic Committee until the end of 2024. And that's that's how their sponsorship goes. Yum. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to some Paris 2024 news. and a striped shirt and I will go stand by the sand and smoke a cigarette you may not want to stand by the sand and smoke a cigarette because there's toxic waste going into the sand and it's funny that you brought up Tessa Gobo Day and how he went to go row in the Charles and the Charles River in Boston has a horrible reputation for being just a toxic dump and They've been working hard on cleaning it and making it more environmentally sound. Well, the uh, cement giant Lafarge has apparently dumped hundreds of liters of toxic wastewater into the River Seine, which is supposed to be the venue for open water swimming. And if they can't clean it up, that was one of the things when Paris 2024 bid is just like, this is an opportunity for us to clean up the Seine because the Seine is notoriously filthy, but we can clean it up. We can have open water swimming here. This will be great. So we shall uh, see what happens with that and if they can improve the water quality in time, because if they can't, they've got to find a different venue. And speaking oh, of any venue fun for them, what? for open water swimming. Tahiti? Tahiti. <laughs> you two events there. But speaking of changing venues, they might have to change the volleyball venue. And they will know about this at the end of the year. Inside the Games was reporting. So they are looking to move the volleyball from a temporary facility to one that hosts is scheduled to host football. But they are also looking at reducing the number of venues needed for football so they could transform this one into a volleyball venue cost cutting cost cutting indeed they'll figure it out let's move on to la 2028 news we you know we get new music and we and then la 2028 does something we have (laughs) we weren't supposed to do anything for a few more months get la 2028 music (laughs) la 2028 launched its new logo so it used to have a a woman that looked a little like an angel i would say not very art deco style yes yes exactly and now they've got what they it's the first dynamic logo and it is basically la on top 28 underneath the l the two and the eight are all the same font and the a changes And they're doing an Instagram campaign, probably on other social media sites as well, where famous uh, Los Angelinos designed their A. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, Michael Johnson, uh, Gabby Douglas, some other uh, uh, actors and artists have all created what their A would look like. And it is a brilliant campaign. I don't know what to think, to be quite honest. I like the concept that L.A. is there's no one logo that would fit L.A. Los Angelinos are very diverse people, different logos to suit different people. That said, there's like 26, 28 of these right now. And the number is going to go up. Right, because everybody is supposed to design their own A. Yeah, so you, you can design your own. So what happens is you have, well, now you can buy the pins and the T-shirts and hats. You can buy merch with all these different A's on them, which is kind of cool. But it also takes away from the unity in a way to me. I, I like it. I think because it is so Los Angeles, it is so indicative of the city. And also, hey, they just found a way to sell you a hundred t-shirts instead of one. <laughs> the pin people are going to go nuts. I know. Remember, I, I can't remember who we talked to, but they had this Rio pin that was a one of a kind because it was made just for them. Now everybody can have a one of a kind L.A. pin. We need to keep the flame alive L.A. pin. Hmm. We'll work on it. Yeah. Submit your designs. In Paralympic news, which we need music for that, too, the International Paralympic Committee has published an open letter uh, regarding this debate that's going on with the International Wheelchair Basketball Federation and the IPC. The, they're non-compliant with the athlete classification code. And so they had to reassess their athlete classification classifications this year or be kicked out of Tokyo 2020, which has caused a lot of concern in the sport because there are athletes who have been classed out, basically. So, and this is interesting given that we talked about the history of wheelchair basketball and how it was, first it was paralyzed athletes from the uh, soldiers who were paralyzed in the war, and then they added polio athletes, and then, you know, you keep adding and adding. Uh, to cover more disabilities, and and now that they've they've got to uh, reassess the eligibility of people, it, it makes it pretty tough. So we're trying to learn more about how that works, and uh, hopefully we'll have somebody on to to explain it to us because it's a it's a tricky situation. And and I have read that there are athletes who are really considering amputation in order to continue competing. Wow. Yeah, this is in the BBC. Great Britain wheelchair basketball player George Bates may consider an amputation op operation so that he can continue to play. He currently has a complex regional pain syndrome, so he has severe pain, and he said it was the wrong kind of disabled for wheelchair basketball. And he chose not to ham have an amputation earlier in his life because he hoped his condition would prove, but that never happened. And but if he gets one now, he could be eligible to compete again. So, wow. yeah, That's... it's it's really it's it's something to wrap Ooh. your mind around. Yeah. And I would like to learn more about it. But happier news. Coke is now a worldwide partner of the International Paralympic Committee at the highest level. Excellent. Good for that sponsorship. They will be a sponsor 
until 2032. So you can live on your Diet Cokes straight through. That's right. This is very important for our podcast. (laughs) Ah, some other Olympic news. It was the 48th anniversary of the Munich Massacre from 1972, and there were ceremonies held to mark that event and uh, memorialize it. Don't know if it will ever get its moment of silence at the opening ceremony, but they're still trying. Yeah, the families of the victims of the Israeli athletes have been pushing ever since 1976 Mm -hmm. for there to be a moment of silence at especially the opening ceremonies Mm -hmm. of the Summer Games and just have never been acknowledged in that way. Book club related news. If you read The Suspect, the Olympic Park bomber... Eric Rudolph asked the courts to strike down some of his life sentences. And the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported this. I do not understand this because he has multiple life sentences. He's never getting out of prison. That was part of the sentencing agreement that he's not eligible for parole. Yeah, so why? Yes. Uh, Well, he wants to strike down four of the six life sentences. I wonder if he's like, well, if I can get these stricken down, maybe I can get the other ones stricken down, too, and eventually get out. So I guess, but that's not going to happen because John Coates is going to come with the flaming boomerang and say, don't you disrupt my games ever again. How dare you, (laughs) you murderous villain. And I don't mean to make light of the Atlanta bombing because that is absolutely tragic i'm just trying to have a positive attitude because i complain too much i think well you know a positive aspect manhunt deadly games is the 10 episode uh tv series it's uh they did their second season on the olympic bombing and that show has been picked up by cbs so it will be 10 weeks starting monday september 21st at 10 p.m it would have been more interesting if it had been picked up by nbc (laughs) since they aired the 96 Olympics. I wonder how that would have worked. That will wrap it up for this episode. Let us know what Olympic things you've been up to during our break. Email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Call our voicemail hotline at 208-FLAMEIT. We're Flame Alive Pod on Twitter and Insta, and keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook. Next week, we will be back with another Olympic interview. So as we go out to music by Archdale, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive.
I need to learn another language? What's happening? 